Well, being Christmas, you know, all of us have various memories of things that happened to you in the past, and I will never uh, distinctly remember and never forget. It was a Christmas, the Christmas Eve morning, uh, uh, my freshman year of college. I was at home at the time, and we got a phone call at 6:30 in the morning. We, you know, we, we still had a house phone before those were extinct. And my dad comes in the room to wake me up and says, the UNCW, which is where I went to school, UNC Wilmington, campus police is on, are on the phone and they want to speak to you. And I'm thinking, well, I didn't do anything wrong. And I don't think I saw anything happen, but okay. And so he hands me the phone and he tells me later that he thought it was a joke. He thought it was my grandfather calling as a prank. And so when they asked to speak to me, he initially told them no, uh, because they had to convince him, no, they're actually, uh, this is actually calling. And so uh, I finally talked to them and they wanted to let me know that they had found my bike that had been stolen a couple of weeks earlier, which is fine and dandy. So when you have a bike, I went to UNCW, I bought this uh, this cheap bike from Target to get around campus. And about a couple of weeks before, you know, the Christmas break, it was somebody stole it. They, you know, they cut off the chain from the bike rack, and uh, they call me 6.30 a.m. Christmas Eve morning and say it was found by at a nearby gas station. Again, great, but why are you telling me this right now? Like, what, what, in the, what, what, is, what am I going to do with it? I'm not even at the campus right now anyway, and also, who cares? Like, call me at 12 or call me next week, but why would you call at 6.30 in the morning? I guess for, their, for whatever reason, they thought it was very important that, that my $100 Target bike was found, and they needed to tell me right away. And so this evening, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this question. Speaking of knowing things, I maybe want to ask it this way. Uh, If you were God and you loved the world, how would you make that known? Uh, That's what I want to spend a few minutes talking about this evening. We've been in a series called What If? We've looked at some of the foundational things in the Christmas story. If you've been with us this month, we looked at the genealogy of Jesus, uh, the the impact and the necessity of the virgin birth. Uh, This past Sunday, we looked at John the Baptist and his role in Jesus' ministry. And today, we just want to ask this question as we come to Christmas in a couple of days. If you were God and and you love the world, how would you make that known? Because here's what I, I know, right? It's really easy for us to... Uh, criticize or, you know, uh, when other people do things, you know, how we would do things differently, right? It's really easy to say, uh, oh, they're doing a bad job. It's really, it's a lot harder to come up with an idea yourself and actually implement it. And so this is a, th- this is a fair question, right? In, in a world full of suffering and evil and hardships, and some of you are going through some very difficult things right now. If God actually does love us, what would you do to make that known? Uh, This evening, we're going to look at a very famous couple of verses in Scripture, and my hope is maybe in a new light show you just how radical it is, God's love for us and what he came to do when he sent Jesus to this earth. And so if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and flip to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, if you don't have one, there's a black one around uh, page 943 that you can read along, and if you don't own a Bible, you can take one of those black ones home. It is our gift to you. Uh, Again, we're going to look at one of the most well-known passages in Scripture. Even if you don't know what this verse is, you've probably at least heard it in some cases. And what often happens is when we hear things uh, very often uh, over or repeatedly, we hear things consistently, we can kind of forget um, all that's going on or overlook some really uh, important uh, things that are going on in this text. And so this is certainly one of them. And so with this question, uh, what if God so loved the world, what would God do? How would we know? And, and why would he actually do that? We're going to see that in these verses. And so here's what it says, John chapter 3, starting in verse 16. It says, for God loved the world. 
Now, again, this is a familiar verse. Uh, again, for us, too, this is not very shocking because we've heard it, especially if you grew up around the church or just know that it's Christmas season. You know, God's love, uh, love today in our culture is a very esteemed value. And so God loving the world doesn't seem that radical to us. We might look at that and say, well, obviously, of course he does. But actually, in a first century context, uh, this writing by John, or Jesus says this here, was a very uh, peculiar uh, saying for two reasons. Uh, one, uh, Jews, for example, were familiar that God loves Israel, right? After all, they were his chosen people, out of which he wanted to bless the entire world. But to say that God loved the world also means that he loves even those who were not Israelites, Right, The pagan people, the adulterers, the liars, the cheaters, the people who dishonored God and his commands, what Jesus says here is that God loves them as well. And this is a radical concept. There is no ancient uh, religion in the world who, 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 who taught that this God loved everybody. Like everyone had their, you know, even in a polytheistic culture, everyone had their gods typically geographically based or ethnically based. And you would kind of do your sacrifices and pray for them and hope for that they can protect you and your tribe and your community. Uh, nobody ever thought that their God or their gods actually cared about those people. Yet Jesus says that God loves the world, not just Israel. And the second thing that's interesting about this is that in the New Testament, the word cosmos, which is translated here, world, uh, is typically framed in a negative light. It's typically framed in a negative light. It's not something that followers of Jesus are supposed to love. It is often associated with wickedness or evil or bad things or selfishness or idolatry, right? That we're not supposed to love the world. We're supposed to be in the world, but our allegiance is supposed to be to Jesus. And so why then does Jesus say God loves the world if the world is a wicked and a broken place? What's happening here? What Jesus is doing by saying these few words, for God loved the world, is he's saying that God's love, number one, is not restricted by ethnicity or geography, and that his love is astounding, not because the world is big. So you and I might think, well, God loved the world, loves the world. The world is big. There's a lot of people in it. And so that must be a lot of love. What's actually going on here is that this love is so astounding because the world is full of brokenness and evil and people who have gone their own way and who, who disobey God all the time, and yet he still loves them. It's interesting, you know, maybe again, because we're familiar with the Christmas story, we assume, of course, God would come to the world. But why would you assume that? And so one of the things we see right off the bat here in John, the beginning of John 3.16 is this, is that if God so loved the world, his love would be available to everyone. Right? If he truly loved the world and not just a certain class of people or a certain geographical region or ethnicity or gender or socioeconomic status, his love would be available to everyone. And yet this is exactly what Jesus says God's love is like. Now, what's interesting here is that Christianity is the only religion in the world where this is true where it is not about anything you have done, but that what God has done for you. It's not determinative on whether or not um, you, uh, how you behave or where you live or where you look like or what family you have been born into or what time in history you lived in or geographically where you are based. None of those things have any merit about whether or not God loves you. He loves you simply because he is a God of love. It's not about what you have done. It's not about proving yourself to God. If God loves the world, you would assume his love would be available to everyone. And that's exactly what Jesus says. And so the question then becomes, well, how? Because it's really nice to say that, right? Especially in our culture, love is a, a big virtue. But how does he demonstrate that love? Well, look again, John 3, 16. We'll read, read a little bit further this time. 
It says, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son. Now, what's significant about this, against Christmas is the celebration of the arrival of Jesus, is that this is not simply feel-good sentimentality, but he actually proves it. Again, there is not a single other uh, religious ideology or thought that or religion that teaches this. It's not just, well, God says he's merciful, or God says he's loving, or God says he is kind, but he actually comes into human history to show us, right, that God loves us so much that he gave of himself. He came into time to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He came and he died because he loved. Now, again, that might not be news to you, but I also think it's important to know the motivation behind why he did it. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, I've really come to enjoy this verse uh, this year. It says this. It says, for the joy that lay before him, talking about Jesus here, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God for the joy, not the obligation, not the I have to do this, not the, well, it's the nice thing to do. For the joy he came, despising the shame, so it's not like he enjoyed what was going to happen to him, but he did it. It was worth it because of what it meant for you and for me. Or put it this way, if God so loved the world, he would be glad to come. And I just want to say this, like many of you have heard that Jesus died for you. That might not be new, but do you know that he was glad to do it? Like he was glad with joy and happiness and delight, knowing your hangups, knowing your, where you fall short, knowing what you've experienced, what you've thought, what you've done or what has been done to you. If he loved the world, you would assume he would be glad to do it. And that's exactly what scripture says. It's kind of like this. Like I mean, if you're married, hopefully this is still the case, but it was probably like this on hyperdrive when you were dating, right? You would want to do whatever you could to be around that person. And so you would go to all these things that you might not like at all just to be with them, right? And it's not necessarily that you enjoyed going to these things or doing those things, but being with that person made it worth it. And what we see happening here is that God comes not because he needs us, because he, but because he wants us, because he loves us, and he is glad to do it. So that's what he did. He loved. That's how he did it, by sending his son to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And of course, the question is why? Why does he actually do that? It says this. We'll read the whole verse this time. John three sixteen. it says this. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And so by trusting and following him and what he has done, we are graciously, uh, inherit, we graciously inherit and receive life in his kingdom. Because if God loves us, well, what this would also mean for us, that if God so loved the world, he would invite us to be with him. Right? You would assume that he would do that. And this is exactly what he does. The good news of the gospel is that God came in the form of a man to begin with in the form of a baby. He was born to no-name parents in a no-name town to live a life, the perfect life that you and I could not live, die the death that we deserve, and resurrected to new life to accomplish victory on our behalf over sin, evil, and darkness. That is why he came, to invite us to be with him. And here's the problem, right? The problem is, and if you were here on Sunday, this past Sunday, we talked about this a little bit. The problem is, we typically think we're fine. Like, yeah, we're not perfect, and yeah, we've done some things that maybe we shouldn't have, but like, 
on the whole, like we're not that bad. And so we kind of think of like God sending sweet little baby Jesus as a, like a nice little cute story. Like, oh, thanks. Like, oh, you loved us. He's a little baby. Who doesn't like babies? Unless you're actually raising the baby, then sometimes it's a little tiring, right? But it's like, oh, that's cute. You can, you know, have the little baby and we'll come and hug, hug it and squeeze it and gives it gifts. And, and so what we need to understand that God loves us so much that he not just sent a baby to, to have like, oh, this is a nice little cool story. Instead of what scripture paints the picture of, that God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to rescue us from judgment and condemnation that was coming our way and that we deserved. It's not that like, oh, we're on the whole, we're okay, and Jesus is like a little addition that we just need to kind of get us over the, 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 the one yard line so that we can get into heaven. No, what's happening here is that Jesus came to make a way when there was no way that you and I cannot stand before a perfect and righteous and a holy God and impress him with what we've, what we've done. Right? And, in, and in spite of that, or because of that, God in his love for us came to make a way to invite us to be with him. And again, what can often happen here is if we don't understand the reality of the situation, we don't understand how significant this moment is of him coming. It kind of makes me think of, and I'll put these two in a second, I'll put these stories together in a second. It kind of makes me think of another Christmas Eve story that happened to me uh, when I was a kid. I'm not sure how old I was, but I was a young kid. And it was Christmas Eve mid-morning, and we were driving to my grandparents' house in Statesville. I grew up in Cary, so it was about a two-hour drive. And, you know, it's Christmas Eve, and so, you know, it was a there was traffic. It took longer than normal. And I was sitting in the back seat of the van. I was listening. I had my little CD player. You know, remember those things? And I was listening to music. My parents are up front. And all of a sudden, I hear my dad say, oh, shoot, I forgot to pack the presents. And I was like, pause. I was, excuse me? Right? I forgot. And, and, and then, you know, and looking back on it now, the older I get, like, I understand what, what came out of his mouth next because I realize, like, gifts are fun and all, but, like, that's not really the, the, the thing. It's like being together as a family and the memories, and you can always open gifts later. And so then he goes on to say, well, that's okay. Let, we'll just open the gifts when we come back home in a couple of days. To which my mom responded, No. That is not a thing that's going to happen, right? And so after a couple minutes of them going back and forth, she convinces him to turn around and we go back home, get the presents. And what was supposed to be about a two-hour trip ended up being, what, five, six hours because there was traffic both ways, right? In that moment, my dad didn't understand that, yes, Jesus is awesome, but when you're a kid, give me them presents, right? I need them, right? I just, I, right? And so it's like, it's like well, we'll just, no, of course, like he didn't understand the gravity of the situation. Kids need their gifts. We love Jesus too, right? Right? I promise. See, I'm a pastor, so I'll, you know, they taught me about Jesus too, right? But that's what like, we didn't understand. And I think that's what happens with us, with Jesus. We don't understand our standing. We don't understand who we are without him. In fact, this is why Jesus came. It says this in verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So again, to be clear, Jesus did not come into a neutral world in order to save some and then condemn others. He came into a lost world to redeem any and all who would accept him and trust and follow him. He came into a world that was already condemned to offer us life. And so again, it's a total misunderstanding. We talked about this this past Sunday, if you were here. It's also, it's a total misunderstanding to view, to view Jesus coming as exclusive, as if Jesus is the only way, and that kind of takes away any other paths to God. And what's happening here is that Jesus made a way where there was no way, that no matter who you are or what's been done to you, what you have done, everyone has equal access to the love of God. 
It makes me think of years ago when Christine and I were still living in Wilmington. Uh, we were driving back from somewhere about an hour outside of Wilmington, and our car breaks down. Our bra- starts to break down. The engine starts to smoke, and so we had to get a tow truck to like to leave it at the shop for the next day for them to fix it. And so I called one of my friends to ask if he could come pick us up, which is a big deal because we're an hour away. Uh, he was one of my roommate before Christine and I got married, and he was living in Hampstead at the time. So long story short, he was about an hour and 15 minutes from us. And so he is a great guy. He decides, he, he says, yes, he'd come pick us up. And he comes and he picks us up. He brings us home. What took, you know, for, t- took him about four hours to do this whole thing out of nowhere, major inconvenience. And he comes. Now imagine when my friend, friend came to pick us up, if I said, no, we're good. No, thanks. You know, what's happening there is that he was our only chance. It's not like there were other options here. If he had not come to help us and pick us up, I, don't, I, could probably, I still would probably be walking. I don't know where I'd be right now, right? And this so it is with Jesus. He came to offer salvation when there was no other way. Or put it this way, if God so loved the world, he would do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That's what he would do. If he actually loved us, he would come to do for us, to make a way, to give us grace and forgiveness, not because we earned it, but simply because he loved us as a gift. And this is the gospel, right? With joy and delight and love, Jesus came. Which is why as followers of Jesus, this is what we are supposed to be marked by. If you are a follower of Jesus, not in order to get something from God, but in response to the love that he has given you and given me, we love others because Christ first loved us. And so, as we come to the end of another year together, uh, one of the things that I love about our church is how we love one another so well. And if you're new around New City Church, if you stick around long enough, I think you'll hear this as well. And so, uh, what we want to do, and this idea and this reminder that God loves us so much, that he's done all of these things for us, and in response to that, we, ha- we also love others. Uh, we want to share with you a story that we do from time to time where we ask people in our church how they have been impacted by you and how they have been loved by you. And so the spirit of Christmas and God's love for us, turn your attention to the screen. My name is Brian Brammer. I've been coming to New City around this time last year, I think, the second weekend of December. So I got connected at New City. This story is actually pretty interesting. Uh, Several years ago, I was going to be a part of a church plant um, and I went to a couple of meetings to uh, just to kind of get an idea for what their vision was. And so I met some of the people. And then after some praying and uh, contemplating, I decided to kind of take a step back. But I felt somewhat, um, I guess, guilty that I, I kind of took a step back. So I was looking through Reddit, uh, of all places, and the church was actually looking for a place to meet on Sundays. And I actually found this building. Now, this was probably like five, six years ago. Uh, And so uh, last uh, December, I was looking for a new church to go to. And I was like, you know, that one church that had planted several years ago is no longer in this space. So I was like, I wonder who's who's meeting there now. Uh, So I found out a church called New City RDU, Uh, looked up online, uh, listened to one of Pastor Dylan's sermons, um, and came that Sunday and have been here ever since. So it's a it's more of curiosity of why I'm here. I'm 38 now, and so I've had friends come and go in my life, and being able to actually serve and honor the Lord and worship Him with friends, with a community that's not forced at all, uh, is a huge thing for me. And so uh, I was like, this this is something I want to be a part of, uh, the people, the teaching, 
um, and I just I just stayed. So uh, you guys uh, you guys captured me, and and now you're stuck with me. So one of my favorite memories uh, at New City is I think there's actually two of them, but one of the ones that stands out is uh, Bunko Night. I think that was in the fall or maybe in the summer. I can't remember when. Um, just a great way. I, I'm I like board games. I'm kind of that board game nerd. I'm actually going to a convention um, in a couple days, but uh, I just it allowed me to kind of get to know more people and get to know them in a different way. I also find that found out how competitive uh, Dylan is uh, at games, so that was cool to see. And so that's just one night that was that was special. Uh, another one was the most recent um, trivia night, uh, fantasy trivia night. Those were just some really really cool. Uh, events that New City's always putting on uh, just to let you know that, hey, you know, yes, we, we're here walking uh, this life together, uh, pursuing Christ, but also uh, having fun and, and not taking life too seriously. So those are two awesome things that I've experienced. If you're new to New City or you're just kind of um, testing the waters, uh, one thing I'd, I'd like to tell you is that you will feel no, no judgment here at New City. Um, I don't know what you know, your background is in church. I know I've, I've grown up a Christian, uh, Christian all my life. My dad um, is a just just retired from pastoring at the same church for 35 years. And I know a lot of times people stay away from church because they've been hurt by the church. They've been hurt by people or they felt judged by others. Uh, I have not found uh, felt that here at all, um, which is very refreshing. Uh, I'm going to mess up in life. I'm going to say things I shouldn't. I'm going to hurt people. I think we all do. Um, but never once have I felt judged by something I've said or something I've done. Uh, but you will be held accountable. And I think there's a big difference between judgment and accountability. Uh, one's done in love. The other one's done uh, out of spite, I think, and, and with a, a hurtful heart. So you'll do life with a lot of people here, which is very, very difficult to find. Um, sometimes you'll come on a Sunday and it's like, hey, how are you doing? Hope your week went well. And then, and then you go and do your, do your own thing. But um, my sister and I also just uh, started leading a community group, and the awesome people uh, that I've met there, I think we've got 12 people in our group now in our small little apartment, uh, and so we wouldn't trade that that for the world. We've had great conversations, theological conversations, tough conversations, um, but also making fun of each other uh, as well. So all of that is is something that I just I hold dear. Um, I've I've experienced God's love in New City. Um, again, like I said, through the people, um, but also the intentionality, for lack of a better term. Um, it is their goal, leadership, um, the members, that they want you to know how much Christ loves you and that they are uh, going to support you in everything that you're going through. Um, they're going to walk through life with you, and those are things that that Christ did, you know, 2,000 years ago, um, things that He's still doing for us now, uh, and it just it just shows the uh, it goes deeper than just that surface level love. Um, it's love no matter what, and that's something that people always look for in a church. It's something I've always looked for in a church, and it's difficult to find. You know, we're all we're all sinners, and uh, that's what a church is comprised of. But um, yeah, I would just encourage anyone that. Uh, during this time of the year, if they're really struggling with uh, where to find love or find purpose, a lot of people do struggle. They struggle with depression around this time of the year. And uh, I, I really encourage you to, to lean into those close to you. Um, if you're here at New City, lean into those in your community group. Um, 
to the staff here, to your friends, uh, to truly experience uh, Christ's love because it's, it's here uh, and it's here all the time. From the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and she laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields, keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today, in the city of David, was born for you, who is the Messiah? The Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, all praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to the people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary... Mary was treasuring all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. So, as Dylan has shared this evening, if God so loved the world, his love would be available to everyone. If God so loved the world, he would be glad to come. If God so loved the world, he would invite us to be with him. And if God so loved the world, 
he would do for us what we cannot possibly do for ourselves.